are going to be going through 1 Timothy. Uh, I've told you guys, and uh, I'm excited about this because, uh, and we're kind of titling it Battle for Heart, all right? Not Heart for Battle, all right? But a Battle for Heart because as we go through 1 Timothy, what we're going to find is that there is an, a warrior, all right? This guy has got the battle scars, and we're going to talk about him today. And he is training up another warrior, and he, this warrior is already in battle. That's how you get to be a better warrior is to be in battle, all right? And so he's already in this battle, and he's pouring in his, like, he knows his end is coming. And so he is preparing this guy for battle. But we're going to find out that there's several hearts here that we're talking about. It's the, the central part of who we are, right? It's what keeps us kind of going. <laughs> it keeps pumping. As long as it keeps pumping, we're good. Uh, and so we're going to talk, he's going to first, uh, as we're going to see today, he's going to talk about Timothy's heart. He's going to talk about our heart. There's a battle for our hearts, right? Then there's the heart for the church, and then there's the heart for the gospel. And all those are under attack, uh, and we're going to find those in life. And, and it's, you know, as we grow up, you know, we have young kids, and as they grow up, they're so confident, right? You guys have all met Katie. Uh, that girl has no fear, all right? I say, hey, there's a bear out there, and she's like, where? And she goes out. I mean, she's ready to go, right? But something happens in our life, uh, and sometimes it happens a lot sooner, and sometimes it happens a little bit later. But all of a sudden, there starts this insecurity. We start doubting ourselves, and we, we kind of lose some of that bravery that we had before. And unless someone comes along and says and, and encourages us, pours in that courage, we kind of adopt and we kind of just hold on to that insecurity and that becomes our new identity i you know grew up in a good home but i remember my grandpa we called him i called him buddy all right that was his nickname was buddy and uh we were out at his farm and i remember to this day i mean i admired this guy i mean he and i'll talk to you more about uh him and all that he did i mean he he worked at a gm plant but he was obedient to god that here send me and started this amazing organization that helps thousands and millions of people still to this day, uh, and while he continued working at the GM plant. And uh, I remember sitting there and just admiring him and everything like that. And I don't even know how we got on subject matter, but he's like, you know, your dad's proud of you. I was like, yeah, I know that. He's like, because I am. And I think that was like, oh, you know, that meant a lot. And it built up that security feeling that I had. And then I remember later on, uh, every September 11th, all right, the, a lot of the firefighters, uh, we strap on full gear, air packs and all. I mean, an extra 45, 50, at least 50 pounds, if not more. And we would, uh, not uh, to remember those that died in 9-11, uh, you would get assigned someone that died at 9-11, and it was your job to represent them and carry them 110 floors. And... Uh, I was training for it, I poured myself into it, I took it very seriously, my job, but then also this, and I wanted to represent well, and my dad came to the first uh, stair climb that I ever did, and um, I, my training paid off, right, uh, I, I was good to go, I was, I, other people are stripping off gear, we're having to carry other people's gear because they weren't prepared for it, and I remember uh, after it was all done, just how proud he was, and he even called up. My mom was like, man, he represented so well. Everybody else was collapsed, and he's just chugging along with a smile on his face type thing, and it's that security that kind of builds in there, and we need that. We need to have that poured into us because life 
is war. It's for your heart, for your mind, your soul, for your very life. And you need a warrior to train you or you're going to die. All right? You're going to die a slow and painful death. You need someone that believes in you. And that's what we're going to find out in 1 Timothy, is that Paul believes in this man named Timothy. So we're just going to go verse by verse, all right? And I am literally mean verse by verse. We're only going to get two verses done today, all right? So 1 Timothy 1, 1. This letter is from Paul. Who's Paul? All right, we got to, this is, think of this right now, okay? You guys might be like, oh my goodness, this is going to take forever. Uh, but it's okay, we got time. Uh, but it, I want you to think about a train, all right? Have you guys ever seen a train get going? There's, it slowly starts screeching, and then it gets going. That's kind of what this sermon series is going to be like. It's going to be that train, okay? We're going to need to, we need to know this background information, and then once we know the key players and we understand what's going on, it helps us then apply it more to our life and what's going on here and now. So who is Paul? Paul, uh, he was... Uh, a very fascinating person. We all know that he wrote a bunch of Bibles, but we really need to know some of his backstory, uh, how he, who he was, how he met Timothy, and all this kind of stuff. So we're going to start off with who is Paul, and we find that out in Acts nine. All right, Acts is where he kind of jumps into the picture. Uh, Jesus has died; he's rose from the dead. The followers of the way, the Christians, all right, the the church is getting started, uh, and lo and behold, they're facing a lot of persecution. The first time that we actually are introduced to Paul, his name is actually Saul, all right? And he is holding the coats of all these Pharisees and religious leaders as they stoned one of Jesus' followers named Stephen. He's holding the coats. He's cheering them on. He's like, yeah, that's right. Just throw the stones at him. Uh, kill this guy. And they, and they did. But we later on find out in Acts 9, all right? So we're going to still be in 1 Timothy, but we're going to go do some backstory stuff, all right? So Acts 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. I mean, that's just, he was so consumed, all right? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. We find out in Philippians uh, 3, 5 through 6, you guys can just hang there and Acts, but I'll, I'll jump over to Philippians real quick. But he kind of gives his resume, all right? He, he's like, these other people are claiming how great they are, and he's like, you know what? I, I got you beat. Uh, and I, you got to understand how, like, how, how much he, like, loved God, all right? This is all motivated by his love for God, but here it is. Philippians uh, 3 says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. Why is that important? Well, God's law said if a male child needs to be circumcised on the eighth day. Now, some would be like, eh, okay, maybe the seventh day, maybe the ninth day. No, he was circumcised on the eighth day. I am pure-blooded citizen of Israel. That means there is no... Nothing else here. There's no, there, there was no intermarrying of anybody else. They stayed true to the Israelites. A member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I mean, he's saying, I am, I am, there, it doesn't get more pure-blooded than who I was. I was a member of the Pharisees, all right? The Pharisees, we'll get into that more and more, is they were the ones that kept the law, all right? They, they didn't want to go back into captivity, and so they, they took God's law, and they said, all right, that's the line. We're going to draw the line way back here. And we're going to get, like, we're, we don't want to get even close to that line because, well, then we might fall in God's unfavor and then we're going to be in captivity. And so they kept the law. They wanted to keep everybody holy and pure before God. 
all right? And he says, a uh, member of Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law, all 600 plus of them. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for my righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. All right, this is that guy. And he's saying in Acts 9, that's who we're talking about, is Saul, he is, he's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's consumed by this zeal for God, and he's seen these, these rebel rousers. All right, they've, they followed this, this Jewish man that was out in this wilderness, causing this big revolt, taking power away from the Pharisees and, and calling them out on their whitewashed tombs, being uh, acting one way, but inwardly they were far from God. He called them out on all that. And he's like, we got to put an end to all these people. And so he, in Acts 9, says that he got orders to go and he hunt those people down. All right, he got his, his hunting permit. He was going to go and hunt these people down, throw them in prison, do whatever needed to be done to squash this movement. And here's what happens. He was approaching Damascus uh, and it, on his mission, and a light from heaven suddenly shone around him. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Here he is. Here's, imagine this. Saul has dedicated his life to God, yet he denied the God-man. And he is persecuting Jesus' people, God's church, his chosen people. And all of a sudden, he comes face to face with Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. This isn't, all right, Jesus is already up in heaven at this point, right? He's already died, rose from the dead. This is not the lip-wristed hippie Jesus that sometimes we think of. This is the warrior Jesus sitting on his throne, and he comes straight to Paul and says, what are you doing to me? You see, Jesus... When we become his followers and part of the church, he all of a sudden identifies with us. So stuff that happens to you as his follower, as his children, happens to him. And Paul's, and he's calling Saul out on it. And so the story goes on. He goes in. He's blind all right, from this, this light. And he's, and he's had to be led by his friends. And he's left there. And then this other guy, Ananias, uh, or no, sorry. Yeah, Ananias. Uh, he, he's told by God, hey, I need you to go and uh, witness to this guy. And he's like, okay. And his name's Saul. Ooh. Hold on, uh, God, I think I misheard you. Sorry. All right, go ahead, say it again. Uh, his name's Saul. The Saul that's been killing all, of, yeah, that one. Uh, that's who you're, you're going to go to, and he's, he's, he's repentant, and you're going to baptize him, and he's going to be a follower of mine. And then God actually tells him, that when he does this, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings and as well to the people of Israel. And here's the thing. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So the persecute, the guy that was causing the persecution is also now going to be the persecuted. And God's going to use him in a mighty way. And boy, does he. I mean, we go into the rest of the story of Saul. Uh, who then becomes Paul, all right, because when you confront with Jesus, everything changes. You're no longer the same after you get confronted by Jesus. And so he goes, he's baptized, and then he does amazing work. And, uh, and so that's who Paul 
is. All right, so what's, uh, and it says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle, all right, let's make sure that we're clear on that. An apostle was one that was a, he witnessed the life of Jesus, but he also knew and saw the resurrected Jesus. All right, so none of us have actually, unless Jesus appears to you like he did to Saul, aren't apostles. All right, uh, we, the, the apostleship has, has stopped with the original disciples. All right, they became apostles once they saw the resurrected Jesus. So Saul right here, what he, Paul, sorry, Paul, what he's doing here, he's establishing his authority. He's saying, this is who I am. This is my authority. All right, you need to listen to what I'm about to say. And he says, I was appointed by the command of God, our Savior and Jesus Christ, who gives us hope. Hope. Man, we need hope today. With everything going on in society, we need this hope. And this is, this is hope beyond anything that we will ever experience here. This is a hope that is worth fighting for. And that's what he's calling Timothy to is don't give up this hope. All right. It's not of this world. It's the day is coming when all the wrongs will be made right. There will be no more death, no more war. We will see God face to face. There will be no more struggle. And it's all going to come back because Jesus is going to usher it in. A victorious warrior with tattoo on his thigh and not this humble warrior or servant. He's going to be a victorious king. The lamb is coming back as a lion. This is the people that we are talking about. We got Paul, the apostle. We got Jesus involved in this because it's all about Jesus. Everything comes back to him. And then verse 2, I'm writing to Timothy. Timothy, my true son in the faith. All right, let's stop there. Who is this Timothy? All right, the Timothy we find out in, what, in Acts uh, 16. All right, Acts 16 is where Paul comes to meet Timothy. All right, Acts 16, uh, uh, verse 1, yeah. Paul uh, went first to Derby and then to Lystria, then that where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was a Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers in Lystria and Iconium. Uh, so Paul wanted him to join them on their journey. In def deference to the Jews of the area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before they left, for everyone knew that his father was a Greek. Then they went from town to town, instructing the believers to follow the decisions made by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every day. All right, so there, here's Paul. He's journeying through. He's coming around to the churches. He's, he's establishing churches in all these different areas. And then somebody's like, hey, there's this kid named Timothy over here. All right, and we don't, I don't really know the age of Timothy, but he was younger than Paul. All right, we do know that. And, and there was something about him that either people pointed Paul to this guy or Paul's observing. And he's like, man, you can see there's a life to this guy. There's fruit, all right, that's coming out of this, this uh, the way that he lives his life. There's something different about him, and he's, he's clearly walking with Jesus. So Paul invests in him. He takes him under his own wing. He starts pouring in and building up this maybe insecurity that maybe he has, and he's going to build him up to carry on his legacy, to carry on the work that Paul is starting. He's, he's pouring into Timothy. And, and there, Timothy is so obedient, all right? Uh, 
that the first thing that Paul calls him to do is get circumcised, all right? That's a lot of commitment, all right? Uh, I mean, it's one thing when you're eight days old to have that done to you, but when you're a grown man, that, that takes some serious commitment there. Uh, but he does it to, to make sure that there's no obstacles between Timothy and the ministry that he's going to be doing because he's going to be carrying on the ministry of Paul. And so he's like, hey, this isn't like a salvation thing, but at the same time, this could be an obstacle to people hearing the message that you're going to proclaim. So we're going to do this. And, I mean, Timothy could have been like, ah, I'm good, you know, but he, go, he doesn't. There's Because he sees something in Paul, and Paul becomes like the spiritual father for him. We don't really know much about uh, Timothy's parents uh, beyond what's just mentioned here. It just says that his mom was a Jewish believer, and his father was Greek. And it kind of leaves this ambiguity, yeah, that, uh, to everything, all right? And, and so uh, a lot of people will say that the mom was the strong one in this and kind of mentored him, and that could very well be the, the case. Uh, but it, any, either way, there's this attraction here between Paul and Timothy, and he pulls him aside and says, all right, you're going to come with me. And Paul then becomes the spiritual father to Timothy. And disciples him. And we read on over in uh, Acts 19 and 20. We'll get into that more probably uh, next Tuesday. Uh, but we read over in there about when they go to Ephesus. All right. Because First Timothy's written to Timothy, who's the minister in Ephesus. All right. The book of Ephesians uh, type thing. And he's giving instruction to Timothy. Uh, and we read about in uh, Acts 19 all the work that's being done in Ephesus. And, and it's where... There was a huge riot that broke out because as the gospel is proclaimed, people start throwing away all their old idols. Uh, it actually uh, talks about how there was a lot of uh, witchcraft and stuff like that, and they threw all their books away, all the witchcraft spell books and everything like that. They threw it all away, and, and, lost, and it impacted the culture, the economy there. And then a huge riot broke out because all these silversmiths are like, well, nobody's buying our idols anymore. And, and this is the climate that we'll get into more. But that's where Paul actually leaves Timothy there. And he says, hey, I'm going to go on. And he then establishes them there uh, in Ephesians and then, or in Ephesus. Uh, but here's some of the uh, – we'll get into that next time. Uh, I, I, I was going to get into more of what the climate is there and what's happening but we'll get into more of that probably on Tuesday. Uh, just in Acts 20, Paul's, he calls out the uh, elders in Ephesus and says, hey, there's going to be some of you that are going to cause division. There, there's sheep, or there's wolves here amongst the sheep. And it, he's calling out what he's about to write about in 1 Timothy. But we'll get more into that next time. But I love how, in, again, 1 Timothy, he, that's who Timothy is. And he says, my true son in the faith. I mean, do you hear the tenderness in that? true son in the faith. I, you guys are young, but I think as you grow, and even now, you will experience there are certain people that will come into your life that you just have that instant connection to. You're, you, you've never met each other, but there's just that instant connection, especially in the Christian world, in the faith. It's just like there are certain people that it's like, I, I know what you're thinking. We're, we're like-minded. We have the same spirit guiding us, and and he's going to unify us, and we don't even have to say stuff because we know where we're at on things. Uh, and then he goes on to uh, saying, 
my, may God the Father, all right, to God the Father. Now, again, like I said, Timothy's father kind of seems to be pretty absent in his walk. Uh, and, and he's saying God is the ultimate father. And I don't know some of your fathers uh, and what the story is there. Maybe your father was absent and he didn't portray, or maybe he didn't portray God the father, the ultimate father, like he should. And we all, good or bad fathers, we have those father wounds that happen. And, but God is the good father. He's the ultimate father, and he's working through Paul to help him know him better. And uh, Paul is his spiritual father. Christ Jesus, our Lord, give you grace, mercy, and peace. May God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord, give you grace, mercy, and peace. So what are these big things? Grace, grace is a favor. Uh, and what is that favor? It's God's life, power, and righteousness given to us from God, and it's not even earned by us. We can't earn it. It's, unfavor- it's, it's unmerited. We have done nothing to deserve God to give us life, power, or his righteousness and perfection. Uh, we receive this favor through salvation, through Jesus, all right? And... Uh, and he desires to give this to us. I mean, it's just something that he desires to give to us. And when, so when we take, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and baptize, then it's then we get to receive that gift that he's giving to us. And he goes on to mercy. Now, mercy and grace sometimes we get mixed up. It it has to do with mercy has to do with the kindness and compassion. It's often spoken of in the context of God's not punishing us for our sins. All right, you mess up. All right, you do something wrong. And you just know the hammer's coming. It's like, oh, the, I used to dread the words, wait until your dad gets home. Oh, just, just end it. I mean, just, uh, let's just let's get it over with, right? That's where I was at. Just wait until dad gets home. And I was like, please, no. I, I just, I, I, I'd start getting my will, my last testament ready. I mean, I was, I was preparing my soul, getting right with God, because I knew I was about to meet him face to face type thing. But you know that's coming. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't happen, right? It's like, hey, I think you learned your lesson. All right, case in point, uh, Katie and Chloe, uh, they go outside. Sometimes I, I hear them. I'm, we're cool with it, whatever. And they went out. They're playing, and I'm in there just kind of studying and everything. And all of a sudden, they come running in. And they run over to the kitchen sink. They're scrambling up there. They're sticking their heads under the faucet and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, Ooh, What's going on? Uh, they decided to test out the bear spray uh, and had sprayed just a little bit, and it puffed up on the, off the ground. Luckily, they didn't spray it actually on each other, but it got enough in their mouth and in their eyes and everything like that that we had to take a bath and, and everything like that. And you know what? That normally would probably would have been something that I would have been like, what? You do not do that. You know, smack the hand, whatever type thing. But then I see them, I'm like, I think they've learned their lesson. Uh, you know, and so I kind of showed them mercy in that point. Instead of adding to the punishment, I was like, you know what? You you learned your lesson. You're not going to do that again. Nope, nope, not at all. Uh, so, uh, you know, and so that's the same thing is that God, he should punish us for our sins. But then Jesus intervened and said, you know what? I'm going to take that punishment so they, they can go free. All right. And that's uh, that's what mercy is, is that instead of where you don't get punished like we should. And then peace. This is that shalom, all right? It's a very uh, multifaceted thing of 
the uh, of peace. It's peace with God, peace with each other, and peace in your soul. Right? It's it's that war that's taking place. It's that peace. So that's where we're going to stop for today. All right, we're laying the groundwork of who Paul is. We, we want to know firmly that the God and Jesus, they're, they're the center characters of everything that's going on. That's what this is all about. That's what they're doing, the work that they're doing through Paul to Timothy. We talked about who Timothy is, and we're going to get more into that. And then we're going to start getting into next time, we're going to talk about uh, Ephesus and what's going on there. And we're going to get into the, the issues that are happening there. And as we get into that, you're going to realize that a lot of maybe the terminology and stuff has changed, but there's still that war that's taking place in our culture and inside the church. And so we have to be prepared. We have to know the truth, be grounded in the truth, so that we can fight and keep the heart.